It's like your favorite call-in radio show. Without being able to call in. And without being on the radio. Building HVAC Science with Bill Spohn. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. It's our goal here at Building HVAC Science to help create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians, helping the two professions to better understand each other with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. We'll be talking about happy buildings today and buildings that make people happy when they are occupying them. Our topic today is a day in the life of a smart building. Now, spaces can have memory and identity. Quite an interesting topic. So now more than ever, facility owners and managers are incorporating smarter and more connected building technologies to improve proactive maintenance, reduce energy use, and create operational efficiencies, really focused on the building occupants. On today's podcast, Vineet Sinha, VP of Product Management at Johnson Controls, joins us to shed light on how connected building systems are operating holistically and working together to create a truly smart environment. See, buildings of the future are here today and can do all this. It sounds complex, but these smart buildings cost a lot less to run and use fewer resources, all while ensuring indoor spaces are clean and safe and to the liking of the occupants. In this discussion, we walk listeners through a day in the life of a smart building from the perspective of the everyday occupant and explain how connected technologies enable an experience that makes people feel comfortable, safe, and in control. Vineet shares with us definitions of a building persona and how buildings are moving towards cognition of the occupants. There's some links in the show notes to speak with or to reach out to Vineet and as well as learning more about Johnson Controls Open Blue Solutions. So let's listen in as Vineet Sinha explains to us the day in the life of a smart building. How are you doing today, Vineet? Great, Bill. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Where are you calling in from? So I'm based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. And you're with JCI. Why don't you give us a little background on JCI itself and your role at JCI? Sure. Happy to, Bill. Johnson Controls has been around since 1885, so 135 plus years old. The largest building solutions company in the world. Headquartered here in Wisconsin, which is where I'm based. And my current role is VP of Product Management for Open Blue Enterprise Solutions. My background is in technology and have now been with JCI for 11 years. Love the revolution that is now seen in the industry as we come back from COVID, achieve new sustainability goals, and look to achieve a higher than ever amount of occupant engagement and productivity. And I personally love the opportunity in taking the industry through this change. Very interesting. Use the term there, occupant engagement. Can you delve a little bit deeper into what that means from your perspective? This is one of my favorite areas as an outcome. End of the day, we are all occupants in whatever spaces we occupy. This is personal in terms of how I expect to experience spaces that I live and work in. Through my products today, we are influencing how we as occupants can be more engaged, love our workspaces, collaborate better with our colleagues, and end of the day are more productive. That The technology is used to make all of us more productive at our workplaces. That's how I think about it. So that must get into sensors and controls. Is that the combination that's the essence of the smart when we talk about smart buildings? Yeah, sensorization for sure, but also the right amount, right? End of the day, we want to capture sensory data from the space and from individuals that helps optimize the space for my use and comfort, 
right? As an example, if I'm in a meeting room, I want that place to be comfortable for it to adapt depending on whether we have three people in the room or 20. And then end of the day, give me the right technology and tools to make my time in the meeting room productive. That could mean the ability to control AV in the room. That could mean the ability to make food orders in the room or even to ensure that my participants can actually get to the room in time. So sometimes navigation, finding a space, those kind of challenges may also exist. So yeah, I see that as a combination of the right amount of sensorization control as well as additional experiences. When would you say this from your perspective, when this revolution began and in what way did it begin? It must have begun with some of these things on the list you just mentioned. If you think about this from the lens of any control system provider or a BMS provider, technology has always been at the forefront of driving automation. But I feel over the last few years with the right electronics, with the right solution and infrastructure platforms, including cloud, I wouldn't say that's the only reason though. There are multiple reasons why the deployment and adoption of such technology has become cheaper and more effective. End of the day, you don't want to deploy technology for the sake of technology. You want proper business outcomes and people outcomes to come from that. So in my 11 years in the industry, I have seen rapid changes from the first kind of the 2011 through 2015 until now. And of course, right over the last couple of years, the complete rebirth of focus on sustainability and broader ESG goals has made a huge difference in how building owners and operators are thinking about this. So how would you define sustainability from your perspective? Fantastic question, Bill. This is such a broad term today. (laughs) And anytime you look at analyst reports and market sizing and stuff, pretty much every piece of building software can in some shape or form influence sustainability. So my simple definition here is how do we help the building or space achieve its goals for energy consumption and carbon emissions while keeping occupants comfortable and productive. Now, there are, of course, a lot of end goals that you can add on to it. It could be achieving lead certification. It could be reporting for regulatory reasons, ESG and corporate reporting standards, et cetera, et cetera. But those, I would say, are more derivations from that core concept I said initially. Got it. There must be a range of inputs and perhaps prioritization when you have so many inputs going on. Is that something that you manage? It is managed through the Open Blue Solution Suite that I'm responsible for. You have some straightforward use cases looking at the lens of how energy consumption might be benchmarked against occupancy and square footage in a building, as an example. But some extensions of that, which could include control of set points for that space, obviously a huge factor into energy consumption. It could be lighting, it could be just temperature. It could be ventilation in the space. So there are so many, I would say, direct use cases and then some indirect ones. What we love to do with an open blue perspective is look at this from a persona standpoint. There are so many different roles in the building that might be interested in energy and sustainability related outcomes. So we like to factor those in as well as that the usage of that facility in defining those goals and outcomes. A hospital versus a Commercial office building versus an airport have very different paradigms on what factors and constraints they need to consider while driving down energy spend and costs. Absolutely. There are probably governing situations in a hospital and an airport, certain things about public health, whereas a commercial building may have the building manager's guidelines in place. Is that true? 
Absolutely true. So anytime we are deploying our suite, such as the OpenBlue Enterprise Manager, we start with an early know your customer process where we are identifying all of their operational and regulatory constraints. So those are factored in how the system is configured for them and the type of site-specific software algorithms, et cetera, that would be enabled for those spaces. So do you actually get out into the buildings that have the Open Blue installed? Yeah, thankfully in my role and with a global perspective, I've been fortunate to visit a lot of our customers and different built environments around the world. Obviously, very different paradigms when you look at it from in the US versus, say, Dubai versus, say, Singapore. And in all these areas, I not only see differences in how they perceive products and want to interact with technology, but also the level of services that they like to extend to their occupants. A tenanted building versus an owner-operated and occupied space obviously has its own different paradigms but then also some of the constraints that are enforced by weather conditions, by usage of the building, and sometimes 24 by 7 operations. Who is responsible for, or is it a variety of people that are responsible for the setup, maintenance, and the long-term reliability of the systems? You're a complex network out there, right? (laughs) Depending on who's owning the software, who's operating with the software, the different service vendors who might be engaged in my world, from an open blue standpoint, we obviously have a large presence across the world to be able to deploy this software suite on top of a customer's building management system, which could be any, by the way, a JCI medicine system or some other third-party systems. But then beyond that, it's not just the one-time deployment, but also the ability to view all of the data analytics, insights, recommendations being produced by these systems and put them into effect. I have a huge customer out of Singapore where we manage the process end-to-end for several of their buildings. In other scenarios, we might have a third-party service vendor who is leveraging the insights. So then we are connecting output from our systems into their work order system so that entire closed-loop workflow can be executed. What would be some of the parameters that you measure, the data that's coming in that you mentioned here? So we put these parameters across a number of different categories. You obviously, again, from a sustainability angle, obviously you're looking at energy and demand. You're looking at other utility types like water, natural gas, etc. Right? You're always looking at consumption. You're defining KPIs around baselines or benchmarks that the owner wants to pursue and how they are performing against them. And our systems help in automating a lot of those processes, identifying gaps, identifying very prescriptive set of actions that they should adopt in achieving those goals. Take net zero as an example. That one has just picked off like nothing else. And I'm proud that our system is able to not only identify gaps, but give very specific recommendations around buildings and asset types that need to be targeted and how to go identify those savings. But beyond that, indoor air quality is another brilliant outcome. Space utilization is another brilliant outcome. Today, my most recent customer research says that 51% of customers care most about their real estate utilization, more than anything else. And that's obviously being driven by some of the return-to-work hybrid working models, optimizing spend on the spaces, and obviously then it has a cascading impact on their sustainability goals. So when we look at it from an IAQ and a utilization standpoint, now you're looking at very different sensors, very different data points and insights, and a lot of visualization layering in how these KPIs are performing on top of their spaces. 
So this again goes back to my comment on all of the different personas. It depends on the customer profile and the user profiles and what kind of outcomes they're trying to achieve. This has got to be a tremendously complex management aspect for you to be overseeing so many different personas, buildings, climate zones. How do you manage that? How do you manage your work? I am fortunate to have a great product management team working with me and then great network of customer success professionals across these regions. So there are so many points of entry with regards to customer needs, pain points and feedback. Some of the most exciting calls are when you get to a customer who has used your system for a few months and naturally they like a few things and want to see improvement in some other things. And those are fascinating conversations. Sometimes the way they use your system is not something that you had ever envisaged when designing it. But I mean, continuous commissioning, probably that's one area, right, where just customers use the data and insights to possibly hold a vendor accountable or to see if things are connected back into their networks as they're supposed to. So examples like this make it exciting one to hear the feedback, but then we also have a very strong funneling process around how we take all the feedback, understand customer priority and impact, and then roll them up into our release plans. It's an agile organization. We have releases every few weeks, which brings its own challenges because it's taking customers through the next steps of their adoption curve, but it's fun. That's what they want to see. I have one of my sales partners who says that product should move at the speed of business. So I think that's the agility that adds a lot of fun and excitement to my work. Is there anything that's done with the data from a predictive standpoint to say what's going to happen in the future? With all this data that you're looking at, are you getting into that aspect? We are, right? And we have been very selective around what kind of outcomes we focus on. As soon as you bring artificial intelligence, machine learning into the dialogue, it can become a very technology-centric exercise, which we would not want to do. So we are very focused, as an example, on predicting energy consumption and demand. And we can associate the confidence level of those predictions depending on what time frames we are rolling it out into. Same is the case with indoor air quality and balancing that with energy consumption or even predicting possible occupancy gaps in a space based on historical occupancy levels, meeting schedules, and the likes. So this really starts to bring together the convergence of all the different OT data sources that we typically interact with, but some of the other IT systems as well. Take Microsoft 365 Outlook and calendars as an example. It gives you so much insight into what meeting rooms are booked a few days out. So you can automatically adjust your control strategies for the future. Very interesting. What's the most difficult thing for a customer to understand typically that you've encountered when working with the Open Blue solution? Great question, Bill. It's always a fine line between having too much information and too little. We collect so much data, we can produce all the insights in this world and all the beautiful charts that are possible. But then that's when if you have 20,000 things to do, you don't know which one takes priority. And sometimes when it's too complex to derive that, it just leads to inaction. Do nothing is my biggest competition. So it is very important that we distill those actionables down to the few priority items that have a major impact on the customer's operational expenses on the comfort of their tenants, and ultimately into their sustainability goals. So we are very diligent, not only with our predictions, but also, you know, alarm management, another topic where people are, where PMSs are flooded with alarms. So we have those prioritization mechanisms in place 
to identify the ones that are most impactful and those are presented as actionables to the right teams. Getting out of the flood of information and moving towards proper action, prioritized action. So it really sounds like this customer intimacy with your goal of customer satisfaction, that's really the cornerstone of this product. And it sounds like something that's part of you. It's your cornerstone is the way you operate. How did you get to have this role in being such a proponent for customer satisfaction? That's obviously very personal to me. I spent my early years in technology consulting services, and it was in the banking and financial services and insurance sector. And there are two key flavors that are, I wouldn't say unique, but are very strongly relevant in those sectors. And one is obviously a huge amount of speed of action. And second is a huge amount of focus on customer satisfaction. Imagine you don't want to deal with a financial agency that is not responsible for your needs when it comes to your personal finances or your life protection with insurance and so on. So those are two attributes that got ingrained into me in my early years. And then coming into Johnson Controls, obviously it was a different world 10, 11 years ago, but I have seen that starting to permeate. Obviously, the advent of mobile phones completely changed the paradigm of how people expect to interact with systems. And that is clearly seen in how people expect to interact with building systems and cloud technologies and integrations and so on. So this is not a real world, but the whole appification of how they want to consume information and how they want it to be presented in simplified forms greatly then influenced how I think and build products in this domain. And then end of the day, if there is one thing we are most careful about our phones is to not leave it unattended. And that starts to lean into security and cybersecurity. We don't want to lose our data or credentials to the wrong. We don't want to let it fall in the wrong hands. And I think today building owners more than ever are very conscious about cybersecurity. So that for me is the fourth pillar or the fourth leg of the stool, right, on how do we do all of this in ways where their existing buildings as well as the new infrastructure being deployed is protected from incorrect sources. In your experience with field and applications, without getting into too much detail, but what was one of the most interesting projects you've worked on? Yeah, great question. Three or four, and these span different domains. Universities are always fun to look at because there is an always an undercurrent of innovation when you work with them, they're always not only looking for the solution you provide out of the box, but the ability to access both raw as well as enrich data, which they can play around with or even offer to their students in some case or to their researchers to build additional areas of intelligence and insights. So those are always fun conversations. We have a number of them here in the US itself. So again, without getting into names, those are always great projects in terms of the forward thinking aspect of it. Do you ever get engaged with, say, the engineering departments beyond facilities, but actually the educational aspect, the engineering departments that become intrigued with the solutions and maybe turn the buildings into experiments? <laughs> yeah, we always have those. In fact, there's a local university here in Milwaukee where it was the educationists, if you may, driving or leading the conversation on behalf of facilities. So yes, in that industry vertical, if I may, right from a higher ed perspective, that always seems to be prevalent. If I look at some other industries, whether you take commercial real estate or airports as an example, they are always worried about their entire service ecosystem. JCI obviously covers a lot of systems in their buildings, but let's say stuff like elevators that obviously we are not in the business. But from an owner perspective, if they, have, if they want to drive predictive maintenance 
and scheduling things across vendors where there might be interdependencies. They want all that information to come down and be visible at the same place. So that's, again, a different challenge where you're working beyond domains and it becomes a very data and insights and action-centric conversation. As we close out the conversation here, can you give us a perspective on the future of a smart building? What do you see on the horizon without getting into proprietary things, but what do you think are some of the changes that are coming along? Sure, Bill. One of the things that I'm seeing happen in some parts of the world is the evolution from smart buildings to smart enterprises and smart cities. Smart cities, again, is a very broad topic. It often starts with e-governance. But from a JCI standpoint, we see that as an evolution from the system of systems dialogue that happens today in buildings to more of an outcome-led ecosystem. And in the last 30 minutes, we spoke about sustainability. We spoke about healthy spaces. We spoke about safety and security. But then as we start thinking about cognitive spaces, now we are talking about ambient intelligence. How do spaces adapt for people based on their personal needs? How much more of autonomous operations can be driven or how much bi-directional interaction can happen between space and individuals? So it's just yet another level going from smart to cognitive. And I feel the technology platforms and backbones that we are establishing today would help enable those outcomes for the future. So from the cognitive aspect, that means that somehow the building systems understand individual aspects from the people occupying the space? That's correct. Wow. Not only within the domain of the four walls of a building, but personalization that can carry with you and not only be a smart building, but be like a smart community. So we are seeing that evolution of that microcosm and how people think about the smart spaces. Interesting. So just in the most same way as you can customize your cup of coffee at Starbucks, you'll be able to customize your space. <laughs> Except the space already knows what you want. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so no writing on paper cups for Vinit. Right? <laughs> Magic markers. Okay. Very good. This is a great conversation. You've opened my mind and my eyes up to the topic. Any closing thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners? I think in the industry, I'll take this back to how I opened with the industry is obviously going through a big revolution. We are seeing a huge amount of push to adopt more digital technology in the way systems are serviced and in the way these experiences are generated. I think it's very important end of the day to connect these back into the business case. As long as there is right economic value for customers, they'll see the value in what technology can do for them. And then whether it's a sustainability goal, emissions, comfort, healthy buildings, command centers, those would just be natural ways of progressing through that journey. And it seems to be more about people, trending more about people than about actual, say, for the people in the building versus the building itself. For sure. Those are very interrelated outcomes. I think we're just expanding our lens to the personas we should be caring about. Excellent. So what's the best way for a listener to learn more about the product, to reach out to you or your team? What are some of the best contact info we could share? Bill, I'm available on LinkedIn. So that would be a great way. Vineet Sinha, Johnson Controls, best way to connect to me. But also go to our website, johnsoncontrols.com slash openblue. Our solution stack, our architecture, customer outcomes, case studies, some good thought leadership papers are all published there. So we would love for your listeners to go in and watch out and then reach into us for any questions. Perfect. I will share those links in the show notes. 
So thank you again for joining me today. Hope you stay well. And I look forward to hearing from you sometime in the future about how these things in your crystal ball has progressed. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening in to this episode on a day in the life of a smart building with Vineet Sinha, who joins us from Johnson Controls. You can find other trade-oriented podcasts and resources out there. Things like Zach Ciotta at HVAC's Shop Talk, HVAC Reefer Guy, HVAC School with Brian Orr, and Grayson Corbett Lunsford of HomeDiagnosis.tv, as well as Craig Migliaccio and a ton of others that are great influencers out there helping us to learn more and more every day about how to do better work and better serve our customers and our clients. Some of the topics we discussed require technical training for proper interpretation or safe execution. So if you're a trained pro, you can go right ahead, but if you're not, please consult with and hire a pro. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. Thank you for listening to this podcast, and we hope to have you back again, learning more about building HVAC science. Take care. Thank you.